This podcast was produced by Sean Weston Media. Hello and welcome to episode 22 of Media Will It Itself podcast. It's another session of interviews about how modern professional people work within modern media. What skills do we need to have these days? How has working with media changed over the years? And what do we have to look forward to? In today's episode, broadcaster Bob Ballard and I discuss his background in radio, his love and extensive knowledge in music and sport, and his career shift into lecturing. In 2019, Bob became a lecturer for UCFB and can call the prestigious Wembley Stadium his office environment. His background in radio covers many local BBC stations, as well as national gigs such as Five Live and TalkSport. And he's an international commentary veteran, having enjoyed three Olympics, three Winter Olympics and four Commonwealth Games. I hope you enjoy the show. So, Bob, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Good to be with you, Sean. So you're one of those people whose voice will be familiar to many. Yeah, you can still walk down the street and enjoy relative anonymity. Is that a blessing? That's the wonderful thing about radio generally is the fact that you can do that. Uh, if you don't have a real TV presence, uh, even though I've worked in telly quite a bit, I've always worked behind the cameras, not in front of the cameras. So it is quite nice to have that. Um, with social media these days, though, that you're obviously more accessible or people think you're more accessible because of that. So um, people tend to get to know who you are through obviously your image on those types of things like Facebook and uh, Instagram and, and Twitter and stuff like that. So, so you're not totally anonymous anymore with those things. But it is nice to have a degree of a level of anonymity these days. Yeah. So has your ego ever kicked in and gone, why don't these people know who I am? You know, no. I've been. <laughs> no, that, that, that's basically, I mean, some people have a face for radio and I certainly have that. So I knew from, <laughs> from the outset that uh, I wasn't going to be in front of the camera. Or I don't like being in front of the camera, quite frankly. The people have tried to put me there or you could do it. Yes, I could do it, but I don't feel comfortable in doing it. I'd much rather be behind the camera working in that kind of circumstance than uh, than presenting stuff. So uh, no, from my point of view, I don't have that kind of ego. I don't need to be shown or to be seen so i'm quite happy uh, being a you know a, a supporting player rather than the main <laughs> actor if you know what i mean yeah yeah well your professional journey up till now is a consistent path through radio but after an early start as a 15 year old on capital radio you found it difficult to kickstart your radio career didn't you yeah i mean i wanted to be a disc jockey i'll, I'll make no bones about it because uh, you know my love of music and I, I, I do. That, that's my first love sport comes very much second behind my music loves and i wanted to be a disc jockey and at 13, 14, 55, I think even from probably about the age of seven or eight, that's really what I wanted to be. I don't want to be a train driver or a bank manager or anything that your uh, careers teacher would tell you is, is the, the right path to go down. Um, so I was, I was very lucky. I got into doing a thing on a kids program called Hullabaloo on Capital Radio when I was 14, 15. And I did a weekly uh, pop spot, as it was called. Um, for two years, they get on for three years on that, and I thought, good, I've um, got my foot in the door. I've got to know people. My producer was the guy who um, created Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, David oh, really? Briggs, who you might have seen on the uh, the recent quiz thing. I haven't watched that yet. Well, you should because uh, it's, it, a, it's good, and uh, b, uh, it's funny. It wasn't until I think the second program I realised it was him because he, he didn't look anything like that in real life. But um, yeah, so my my producer was the guy who went on to devise Who Wants Who Wants to Be a millionaire so i so i thought good got a bit of grounding in radio people now know who i am but th there was no there was no 
obvious opening going from doing a, a weekly spot on a, on a kids program to progressing that into broadcasting because there were very few outlets at that stage to go into that that kind of area so uh when i left school i left at school 18 or just 17 and a half uh, i went into the music industry and i thought mm. well the the nearest compatible and comparable thing to help me to get into what I ultimately want to do is to go into the music industry so I went to work in in records for the music industry for what five six years before I actually made any kind of real breakthrough into radio Hmm. did I read somewhere that you printed jukebox labels I did that was my first job my first job when I left school because I got the job through an agency I went to an agency, like, I want to work in the music industry. And she didn't laugh me out of the, the room. She said, okay, well, we'll see what we can do. So she got me a job at Lightning Records. Now, Lightning Records, probably only famous for Althea and Donna's Uptown Top Ranking, I think. If anybody, <laughs> anybody remembers that, they had number one hit with that. I remember. Uh, uh, but they, the, the, I, I walked in thinking I was going to have, I don't know why, maybe have ideas of grandeur when you're 17, 18 about what you're going to do. Uh, so I walk in the first day and the job, which hadn't really fully been explained to me, was printing jukebox labels. So so what I had to do was I had to typeset the A and B sides of uh, records, uh, obviously for, for it to go on the jukebox. Uh, and I nearly left at lunchtime on the first day. I thought, what am I doing here? This is not what I want to do. And I actually rang the people who got me the job. I said, look, I can't stick this. They said, no, you know, try and stick with it for as long as you can. And I got through the first few days. I thought, well, it's an income. It wasn't a great deal of money, but I was at least earning. And I progressed through that to ultimately being their promotions person for the label. Lightning Records um, for a while uh, promoting there, so it was quite hard because most of the stuff was reggae or it wasn't that accessible for for mainstream radio. Um, but it, it was an interesting grounding, and you know, to, to be what they call in the trade a plugger at the age of what nineteen was quite daunting. With a lot of people who had kind of been doing it for twenty, thirty years and knew exactly what they were doing, and I had not a clue. Well, I I, I made number plates. And now I'm making podcasts. So. There you go. I mean, yeah, everybody's life changes. <laughs> everybody's life changes. Well, we're going to come back to to the radio side of your career. But you recently eased into life as a lecturer. So where are you doing that? And doing- and can you describe? your personal experience of moving into a new field. Yeah, and I've got to say, it came as a massive surprise. I mean, it's rare that you have such a sea change and such a gear change in your career at the age of nearly 60, as I was when I took it on. Uh, it's It got to the stage where I'm thinking freelancing is great, but it's patchy. So I had some really good gigs, but I go for weeks without anything. And I thought, I need a bit of structure in my life here. I I can't just be waiting for the next big thing to come around the corner and then wait for ages for something else. It's, It's a very kind of nomadic lifestyle. So I saw this advert for this lecturer's job in, in sports journalism. I thought, well, I think I can do that. Um, not expecting to get it, to be absolutely honest. I put in for it. I thought, well, I don't meet all the criteria there, but I'm going to put in for it anyway. Got the interview. I thought I did a reasonably good interview, but still wasn't thinking I'd get the call to do it. And I had a call about a week later saying would you be interested in joining us? And I thought it was going to be kind of on a freelance basis. And they said, we we want you to be full-time. And I thought, okay, here's an offer that I wasn't expecting. Here's a job I certainly wasn't expecting at the start of the year. Let's go for it. And um, it's been a a really interesting 
and definitely not only for the students learning but a very big learning curve for me as well since i started it so you're teaching sports journalism Where, yes. whereabouts is this so it's at wembley i'm actually at, at wembley. wembley stadium so, so can you imagine actually teaching at wembley stadium what That's an what office it, it, yeah. it is i mean we we literally do our offices are the corporate boxes basically at wembley so um our one of the big rooms is where the media is for England games, but uh, we use the, the corporate boxes for our teaching. So we've nearly always got a backdrop of, of Wembley Stadium behind us, which can be a bit distracting from a student's point of view. Certainly <laughs> early stages, first few weeks, all they, all they want to do is look out the window, quite frankly. Yeah. But um, it, it, it's fantastic being in that environment and, and kind of really good being at FA headquarters as well because what tends to happen is you'll open the lift and that will step Gareth Southgate and that kind of thing you do you do see the the great and the good of English football uh, around yeah. the corridors and this um, there can't be many um doing university degrees in in football and sports journalism can there you'd be amazed actually there's a lot we have uh, and there's so many different courses there's psychology there's marketing there's the actual broadcast side of journalism there's the writing side of journalism we, we've got so many different courses not only that we're paired with the etihad in manchester so we have uh, ucfb is in wembley and also in manchester at the etihad mm. so the uh, the teaching goes on at the etihad and at Wembley so we have uh, we have two different setups and the same courses pretty much at both as well so it's um it's only what five I think it's five years old now five six years old it's a it's a, it's a fledgling university but with the um the first set of students went through with their degrees last year and um it's on it's on the up or I say it was on the up until uh, of course the uh, COVID-19 came in and interrupted of things of course yes as, as it has done for everything so mm. part of that um uh, teaching sports journalism is part of that production as well. Do you go into the technical side of things? We go throughout. Um, the thing with the multimedia sports journalism I'm doing is we're doing a whole wide range. It really is what it says, multimedia. So we're covering the, the written side. We're covering the broadcast side. We're covering the theory side of it. We're getting people to put websites together, blogs together, broadcasting, uh, writing all kinds of articles. We have a, a really nice thing we started this year, which is called National League Report, which I look after, which basically is the... Um, the academy stuff, the under-19 National League stuff, our students write up the reports of those games. So they'll talk to the managers, they'll talk to players where possible, they'll get the information and the data from the games, and they will write up the official reports that go on the website of the National League. So it's, it's a really good learning exercise for them to learn how to write reports, mm. and uh, get, get, also gives me a chance to critique their work on a week-by-week -week basis, which normally universities, as you probably know, you get critique every six to seven weeks when you when you hand something in but with this it's great that i get a chance to look at their stuff on a weekly basis and we've seen vast marked improvement uh during the course of this year when i was at university we had a, a lecturer who liked to get us out and about and my, my course was lots of different forms of writing so it was playwriting screenwriting it was writing for newspapers and, and magazines and we had this guy who he was the old hack you know sort of um He'd been around the block. He, he worked, in, <laughs> <laughs> worked on newspapers and magazines through the 50s and 60s, I think. Mm. 
And he was a fan of, you know, where you write a, a, a paragraph or a line on each piece of card and each one has to be an engaging and, and all together it, it, it produces a piece. He took us out to the baseball ground, if you remember, Derby. Derby, yes. Yeah, play at the baseball absolutely. ground. Yeah. And I can remember being this university student, just a, a small group of us going out. And I think we spoke to the PR guy or the marketing guy at Derby. And then we had to file a report, a, a fake report. It was for the course and uh, about our experience and what he was saying. And I thought it was so invaluable actually getting out there, going to a place we may never go. And and uh, and I've remembered it. I've remembered it years and years later. It's not I've even been, uh, did they don't even play there anymore. No, I've been very lucky with my contacts. Is the uh, one of my groups we've taken to Barnet Ladies Football. We took them to meet Tom Daly at the Aquatic Centre. They got to interview Tom Daly for half an hour uh, and write reports on that. So we, we've we've tried to get them out and about where possible. It's, it's within the the confines of what we got. It's difficult, certainly with the numbers we have, to try and do that collecting. When I, I basically took them to my group to Olympic Park for a day and uh, just trying to. Co- corral if you like a group of of 30 plus students on a day like that is 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 testing and, and quite taxing but was was very profitable because it, it what it did for me was help me to get to know the students better and get them to know me better as well during yeah. the course of the day and I, I felt that that was quite a a good bonding exercise which has really helped me through the rest of the year All right, let's let's skip uh, sideways a little bit. It's it's a part of what you have been doing in adapting to, to new things in your career. But you actually went freelance a few years ago, didn't you? If I'm right, it was about around about 2010, 2011? Yeah, 2011. 2011. You set up your own company. Can you tell mm-hmm. me a little bit about that jump from uh, having that, that uh, working for someone going freelance and setting up your own business yeah it's a real leap into the unknown when you do that because I had the chance of keeping my job with the BBC and moving to Salford I didn't want to do that I'm happy in London I've got my place in London I really did not want to relocate I've done a lot of relocating a reasonable amount of relocating in my life and I thought you know what I don't want another move I'm quite happy now I'm stable where I am I quite like the environment here and I thought do you know what I don't really want up sticks to go to another part of the country. I've I've done that already and I really want to stay here. So so it was a case of right do I go? Do I try and combine keeping a place here and going to Manchester or do I say thank you BBC I'll take my redundancy and I'll I'll move on and and try and freelance how I got the ability to do that. And I thought yeah I think I have. So that's what I did and I set my own company up picking up on the kind of freelance work that was going out there in the, the fields of sport that I'm, I'm knowledgeable about and can commentate on. And for the most part, it's worked out really well. I mean, that there have been uh, quiet periods, there have been low periods, but for the most part, I've really enjoyed it. I mean, you know, I don't enjoy that all, all the stuff I have to do with the tax at the end of the year. and, and all Oh, the, who the, does? The, the minutiae that goes with that. But... Yeah, that's, that's quite nice now I'll be back on a kind of um, PAYE scheme with, with the university where they take they take control of all that now I don't have to worry about it anymore but it it, it was it was a leap into the unknown and it could have uh, gone badly and sadly wrong for me but for the most part it's been quite profitable to be honest perhaps some advice that you might impart is actually you know sometimes you have to make that leap in life 
go for it have faith in yourself if it doesn't work out it doesn't work out that's right and you have to know what your strengths and weaknesses are i mean it's all very well going freelance but if you can't back it up think right all right so go freelance what what are you going to achieve here what can you get what is out there for you and i know that because i I basically have specialized in sports that a lot of people don't cover generally the, the, the football uh, fraternity is massive so if you, if you want to kind of be making your life as a freelancer in football it's it's much harder because there's so many people all going for that and as you know i tend to i have specialized in, in sports where i'm not being king of my domain but i certainly have been uh amongst a very small select band of people who would cover a sport so mm. that's helped me in in terms of they're likely to come to me more often than not because i have a specialist knowledge in certain areas yeah. Well, let's talk about the radio industry. Is it is it fair to say the popularity of podcasts over the last decade or so has rekindled an interest in radio over TV? I think radio is certainly, and I think actually, funny enough, one of the byproducts, if you like, of of the thing we're going through right now and uh, all the worries and the concerns is that radio has become a friend again. And a lot of people are going to the radio once again because they know it's reliable, it's instant, it's there. Um, and radio has kind of reconnected with a lot of people during the the virus, really. Uh, so I think it, it, it was always there. And I don't think radio has ever fully dropped off. I think... Um, TV is obviously has been king for many years, but radio fulfills a completely different niche and is a far more intimate medium, which I think is what I've always enjoyed about radio, is you can kind of do radio on your own. Telly on your own is much more difficult. Telly on your own is virtually impossible, whereas you you can be a one-man band in radio and make it work. Of course, there is the the YouTube side of things where young people have really shown that you can have your own tv channel and be successful yeah, yeah. but i think yeah you know, would, would you agree that the young people in the last 10 years at least have really pushed podcasting um and and made audio that that dominant format again uh, to the point where radio and, and podcast almost seem like one thing yeah, I know there's, there is, as you're probably aware, there's a podcast radio station now as well, uh, which is uh, up and running. It, it, it's, it's interesting how the two have kind of come together um, and, and they've met somewhere in the middle. So it, but it's, it's really good because, you know, I, I would always say that, and like obviously with my radio background and majority of my working career being in radio, the radio is a much more creative medium is you have to because because tell you can you can do all kinds of jazzy things with pictures and music and stuff like that radio is is something uh, as somebody once described um uh television's chewing gum for the eyes basically R- radio is a, is a much more immersive medium in terms of learning and creating and and generally with television you can you can have it on in the background it can be white noise if you like radio you tend to pay more attention to it and podcast is the same thing you have to you have to zone in on podcasts very hard not to concentrate on what a podcast is doing so um radio and 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 podcasting are are fairly similar they're they're kind of neighbors they're not they're not exactly the same Mm -hmm. obviously but but there are a lot of similarities between them and it is good that the spoken word is is getting more prominence these days yeah, and the influence of podcasts can't be denied, I suppose, in no. in in perhaps encouraging 
students to look to forge a radio career behind the microphone yeah because the, the thing about radio is i mean telly you can look good and you can be quite vacuous and still get away with it radio you i think you do you need do need to have a brain and podcasting too because you, you're talking about things you're trying to be eloquent about something you're trying to develop strands and thoughts and you know motives or whatever you're trying to do within your podcast it means you have to have a little bit of grey matter in there to be able to do that. Um, I, I, what worries me a little bit is probably me being a bit of an old fogey. Is a lot of the stuff I see on telly is basically if you if you are of a certain type and look a certain way, then you're going to get on regardless of what you have between the ears. Uh, radio, it's is much more difficult to do that. Much more difficult. Well, I, I set this podcast up with the view to it being a guidepost for media industry peers and for young people to sort of get that helicopter view of what it's like to work in and across modern media. So with that in mind, what can you say are your main challenges as a broadcast professional and where are the rewards most often found? I think you have to be very analytical and know what your strengths are and what your potential strengths are. I think... It's so, I mean, the amount of people who come to me and go, I want to work in the media. And I say to them, right, but what area of the media? I don't know. Because they, they really don't know. They, they, they like the all-embracing, all-encompassing term media, but they don't know specifically what they want to do. We have people uh, on the course that I'm working on who are probably in the wrong course, really. They're, they're, they're doing what is mainly written journalism, and they really want to be broadcasters, or they want to be in front of the camera doing videos and stuff like that. So it's kind of knowing exactly what you want to do. Now, it doesn't mean you can't diversify later on and do other things and that's what I've done in my career but you I think you have to set out with a goal and with a target and with an ambition about what you want to do if you suddenly get sidetracked a little bit on that that that's no bad thing but the amount of people who, who really don't specifically know what they want to do are the ones that really worry me they, they, they just go media and you go right is that broadcasting is that written is it telly is it radio is it podcasting whatever you, you've got to have some clear agenda and idea of what you want to do and how you want to do it yeah it's a little bit like what you said earlier about knowing your strengths and your weaknesses if 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 you approach media as that sort of broad uh, thing um yeah i'm good at media etc but if you approach it as well i know i'm good at writing how mm. do i then apply that and branch out yeah. that would be the better approach wouldn't it yeah exactly that that, that that's the annoying uh, I, I really does irritate me when people just say i want to work in the media i mean i, I get I, I i always used to get i still do to a certain extent get things from people saying bob can you help me i want to know how to do this uh, and if they're specific, they want to get into radio, if they want to get into telly, or they want to do something which they've kind of honed their ideas and skills on, that's fine. I can do that. I can say, well, you need to look at this, or you need to be doing that. If if they give me a, a, a very broad canvas, I can't really do much to help them because I don't know what their specific skills are. And the chances are they probably don't know what their specific skills are either. So it's very difficult. So, so all I would say is that if you're going to like, like going for a job interview. Uh, you've got to have a fair idea about what the job entails, how it's going to work out, and what your uh, strengths or weaknesses might be within that. If you're just give, coming you know, with that that all-embracing, all-encompassing phrase or word media, then the, the chances are you probably haven't really worked out what you want to do and how you're going to do it. I think there's an awful lot of people don't know how things work in the media as well. I think, would it be fair to say that 
someone might tune in to you working at one of the Olympics and you've worked at many, right? Mm. And we hear your reportage of, of a swimming event. What they don't realize is what you've had to do to prepare for oh, those yeah. few moments on air. Technically, um, the writing you've had to do, knowing who you're going to be sat next to, who's your yeah. co-commentator. Yeah, There's an exactly. awful lot that goes well, into it. Uh, and then you, you, you make a very interesting point of a really good observation there in terms of preparation is preparation is key pretty much in whatever you do as you know whether it's you're working in sport you're playing a sport if you try and cut corners that's where you get found out now i tend to find if i'm doing let's say an ice hockey match um, i will do at least probably two hours maybe three hours preparation on that before i go to air now of that two to three hours stuff that I've done, I probably will use 20% of it. Hmm. If I don't have that 100% of it, I get caught out. So I might well discard 70 to 80% of what I prepared for that. But I cannot possibly go into that environment doing a live broadcast without that information at my fingertips. Because if things suddenly go unexpectedly haywire, I'm not going to be out on the limb because I've got enough stuff there to to guide me through and make me sustain my broadcast. But the amount of people who think you can cut corners uh, and they are the ones who get found out. So, so preparation is absolutely key, whether it's commentary, whether it's the stuff you write. Uh, I'm marking dissertations at the moment. I can see the people who put their prep in, the people who haven't put their prep in. It's very, very obvious. It cuts right across whatever you're talking about. It's very, very, very difficult. I, I would say almost impossible to cut corners and not show it. Over-prepare, almost. Yeah, I, I, I don't actually think you can over-prepare. I, th I think as long, as long as you've got all that material there, um, yes, you, you think, oh, I've, I've spent all this time and all that's gone to waste. Well, probably hasn't gone to waste because chances are you'll probably get a chance to use it in some form later on. But if you don't have that stuff at your fingertips, um, it, it's like a comfort blanket. It, it's there in case things go wrong. Let's say, you know, um, in a football match, floodlights fail or or whatever, something happens and you've got to fill for a while. And I've done probably more, more filling than, than people put in pastry uh, over, <laughs> over the years uh, for, for different events. I mean, like Wimbledon, for example, you, you'll finish a match and you'll be waiting for the next one to come on and they're not ready in the locker room. You're, you're filling for 15, 20 minutes before they even come out on court. So you've got to have that kind of information there so you don't get like 10 minutes go what am i going to talk about now because you can't do that you're like you're live on the radio or live on the television you can't just stop in mid flow and go, well sorry i'm running out of things to say what's going to happen then yeah i'm a tennis fan so so i i totally get your analogy there as mm. well because tennis is one of those sports where there's there's an awful lot you don't know is going to happen yeah particularly wimbledon because it's outdoors and yeah. it's weather dependent yeah, absolutely and i I'm sat there as a fan, Bob, and I'm thinking, oh, don't they waffle? And then, I'm, and then I think to me, I, I remember that I'm also a media person. I think, God, the skill of waffling, you know, if only, if only the, you know, there were so many more professionals that had that skill. Well, that's but a that's a radio side of things coming through because that's what because radio, when you're painting pictures with words, you can't allow, you don't have any pictures to take over. Uh, so, so radio teaches you to be okay. Well, I've got all this time to fill, and I've got to fill it. So I, I can't go silent because people think their radios have gone on the blink. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you have to keep going, and you're thinking, right? Okay, what, what haven't I talked about now? And, and and sometimes you will go off at tangents just to keep it going. But the, that, that is that is quite an art form, and I've seen people do it a lot better than me. And I've seen people do it a lot worse than me. 
Yeah, well, it's a strange time to be a sports commentator at the moment when so many events have been cancelled because of coronavirus. But even so, what's next for you when we begin our walk towards the light at the end of the tunnel? Well, everything's going to be next year now. Everything that I had planned or possibly planned for this year has, has gone up in smoke. But the Olympics next year, uh, I won't be going to Tokyo, I don't think, unless there's a change of plan. But I will be working for Eurosport on the swimming, which I'm very much looking forward to. Um, there are some diving events next year. And uh, I've uh, since 2016 been covering wheelchair tennis quite a bit. So I did uh, 2016 Rio Games for Channel 4 and the Paralympics. And I've covered a lot of wheelchair tennis since then. I should have been at Queen's this year uh, covering the wheelchair tennis event there and also at the British Open in Nottingham in july but uh, sadly all well, that's gone by the wayside but all those things will be put back obviously 12 months so hopefully all of those will be in the diary for 2021 you need a personal assistant, I think, to organise all of these postponements. Yeah, do you know of a glamorous assistant who might want to join me? <laughs> well, maybe with a face for radio. So how do, how do we contact you, Bob? Um, the best way is probably uh, through email, sport at bobballard.net, or through Twitter, which is at bobballardsport. Fantastic, and thanks very much for joining me today. My pleasure, Sean. That was Bob Ballard, and you can find him online at bobballard.net or on LinkedIn and Twitter. If you've enjoyed this episode, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever podcast service you subscribe to. You can take a look at my own website at seanweston.co.uk for more information about me. And in the meantime, please stay tuned. There's more to come. <laughs>